This is an AMI podcast. Hey guys, welcome along to another Double Tap for a brand new week. It is the 17th of October, 2022. Coming up today, we're going to be learning all about the work of the International Digital Center, the company that is behind the audio description on many big shows. You're listening to Double Tap, your daily accessible technology show. Now, here's your hosts, Stephen Scott and Sean Priest. Hey, Sean Priest, how are you today? I'm good, thank you, Stephen. How are you? I'm good, I'm good. Nice weekend. Yourself? Did you enjoy the weekend? That's none of your business. Let's move on. Okay, fine. Um, <laughs> you know, I have to say, it's so funny. I ask you that question, and we talk so much over the weekend. I kind of know about your weekend. I know that you probably ate a steak pie. Yes. You definitely consumed more than just a steak pie. Yes, two steak pies with uh, red cabbage and brown sauce. Oh, oh, delicious. It's my new thing. But didn't you do that at like seven o'clock in the morning? Yes, it was my breakfast. It, no, see, I fight against this. This conforming <laughs> to, oh, it's breakfast, so you got to have cereal. No, you have what you want. If you want a lamb curry at 7 a.m., you have one. Fight the power. Yeah, I just think you want to eat a steak pie at seven o'clock in the morning. You don't have to justify it. It's okay. All right, thank you. Thank you are a... An absolute national disgrace. Yeah, okay, yes. But other than that... <laughs> Have you been t- talking to Sarah? <laughs> That's what she often says. Uh, listen, today on the show we're going to be talking about one of our favourite topics, audio description. And uh, we're oh, doing yes. that with Eric Wickstrom and Liz Gutman from the International Digital Centre, which is a fantastic organisation, big company based out of New York City. And uh, I didn't know much about IDC until... Uh, I started hearing the name popping up at the end of Netflix shows when they would tell you who made the description, who recorded the mm-hmm. description. And um, I, I've said for many years on this show and on other shows that I think Netflix, to me, it was always Netflix had the best audio described content. And what I meant by that was the quality of the description was good. The voice was always good. The scripting was good. And the audio was produced properly. It always yes. sounded properly, not just like some kind of tacked-on audio or someone. it feels like someone's pulling back the audio every single time someone speaks. It's properly it's, mixed. It was felt like it had some love. It wasn't just, yeah. oh, let's throw that on top. It was the first time that I thought, this sounds like it's actually part of the production. And it was, it was so cool. And it, it is weird because, you know, IDC, you go, oh, I know that. Mm. I mean, h- h- how would... When in the past would that have happened? That you know the the company that does the audio description actually is getting a reputation. It 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 just proves the quality of the work. It, it, they do an amazing job. And that's the thing. I didn't know that. I didn't know that they were the people behind it. What I learned about it was that or what I thought was going on was that it was Netflix who were just somehow doing this. I don't know how it was being done, but I in you house know, or something. Yeah. And it was because all the content that I was listening to or watching on Netflix was so good. So I was just attributing it directly to them. Um, but actually what it was, was Netflix had gone to this company and this company, they give a damn. Simple as that. They just care. Yes. And um, that's the difference. I, think. I mean, I'm not saying other companies don't care, but there definitely is, uh, I don't know, there seems to be less involvement with the community. And I think part of it, if I'm being honest, is that we don't feed back as a community very well on audio description. Um I think well, we... it's, it was still seen as as a, a niche thing, and I suppose it is. But but it was almost inside our own community. It was a bit of a niche thing because it just the amount of audio described content wasn't really there, and the quality of it wasn't great either at that time. So I think it's we almost sort of cast it to one side. We didn't put much store in it. It wasn't until Netflix where I actually thought wow, this is how it should be done. Yeah, exactly. And now, of course, that's leaking through onto other platforms like Amazon Prime, uh, Apple TV. I, I, I don't know who does the description for Apple. It might be IDC. I, do, I, I know they do some work on there, and I don't think it is exclusive. I don't think it's like, oh, well, Apple TV used this company. or I, I think it kind of goes between, because I know Netflix, for example, they use IDC, but they use other companies in other parts of the world as well. Yes. They do, yeah. So, you know, it's not unique that, you know, one company just does all the audio description. I'm sure that Eric and Liz would be quite happy if that was the case for IDC. <laughs> um, and, you know, we'll, we'll get into that in the conversation today. Now, uh, just just to uh, make you aware, this interview was carried out uh, a few months ago. Um, we did this for Double Tap TV, and you can go and watch that that episode of Double Tap TV now. You can find it on our 
YouTube channel, Double Tap uh, on YouTube. Just go and search for it there. But uh, this conversation goes a little bit more in depth. We had a really long and interesting conversation. And we get into some really cool topics. And, and one particular area that we talked about was the fact that they now are encouraging, not just encouraging, but employing blind people to do the audio description reading. So they are the narrators. So we've got blind people actually recording the scripts and they yeah. are the voice of AD. So, you know, <laughs> Brian Fischler has been on this show uh, from that Royal Blind Tech show. He always loves to take a pop at me whenever he can. Um, he, has, I like him. Yeah, <laughs> I bet you do. <laughs> he, um, he's done a few. He's done a few uh, recordings with them and he's uh, turned up on a few programs. Fern Lullum, friend of the show. Yeah, she's done it as well. Wow. Um, and lots of lots of names in our community who we, who we know either personally or we know, you know through just hearing their voices here on the shows or whatever, or on AMI or wherever else. Um, yeah, you're seeing more and more voices coming through and they are really looking for, and they are looking for more and more voices. So well, if you're in the voice world, voice acting world and you want to get into some of this and you've got a home setup, and this is the great thing as well again and we'll get into all this with Eric and Liz they'll explain this in more detail but it just seems to me they've really given this some thought and they've really considered the fact that you know a lot of blind people do work from home or prefer to work from home and what a great opportunity if you've got a home setup. I mean look we're at home we do a daily show nationally across Canada worldwide on podcasts and mm-hmm. all the rest. And we do it all from our home. And it's great. Why not? It's yeah. so much easier for us. I mean, you imagine us having to go into a studio and do all this. I mean, I've done, I did it for 10 years, 15 years of my life I was in a studio. And as much as I loved working in an office and all the rest, I, I, the worst thing for me was going into the office or going into the studio, I should say, and everyone's mucked around with all the equipment and they've, you know, because everyone's changed it to suit uh. them and... Then you have yes. to, you know, re- reset everything to suit you and all this carry on. Um, whereas, you know, you don't have that problem when you're at home. And you're not compromising on the audio quality or anything like that if you get the right equipment, right? So, I mean, yeah, it's the perfect gig, really. It is. Voiceover. Uh, it's fantastic. And it's not just in the actual voiceover side of it, the blind people are getting involved. Also in the scripting and all across the process, they're, they're <clears throat> more and more you know, wanting to get visually impaired people involved, which is fantastic. Yeah, and coming up on tomorrow's show, you're going to be hearing from Thomas Reed. He is one of the audio describers. He's blind himself. He's quite a character, and I got a chance to talk to him again. We we managed to get some of that interview into Double Tap TV, uh, but we, we thought we'd play the full interview here on Double Tap tomorrow. So listen out tomorrow for Thomas Reed, who is one of the voice actors who has just one of the best voices and you will know his voice instantly from various shows if you watch Netflix content especially with audio description uh, he's just got one of those voices that really just stands out you know so yeah, yeah it's, just, it's just great you know I, I think the thing for us is that audio description has the conversation around AD has really moved on it used to be about access just give us more just give us more we want more anything mm-hmm. just give us it yes. and now we've got more and it's still patchy. And, you know, I'm the first to tell you that, you know, it's not perfect on any level. But I do think that there is a conversation happening now more about quality. Yeah. And that's where things have improved. And I, I think, actually, I'll, I'll just put it out there. I'm not paid by IDC. I've never done any gigs for them. Although, you know, they have asked. And if a project comes up, you never know. You might hear my voice. Oh, you never know. Uh- I'm available. I might gorgeous know, that's, voice. That's, yeah, that's, that's uh, yeah. not, not going to happen. Um, but uh, yeah. I can't, maybe a kid's right. show, like Dean yeah. was suggesting a while back. Maybe a kid's right, show. Right. Okay. Fine. Just thought I'd say. Um, but, you know, the fact is a company like IDC has actually started this quality conversation and actually demonstrated what's possible. So yes. it's doable. And what I love about what they're doing is, and again, Eric's going to talk about this, is that he wants to work with other companies. So he doesn't want to be exclusive here. He wants to talk to, he'll happily work with anybody, frankly, who will not only push the, the, you know, creating better quality audio description, and that is about scripting. It is about the voice. It is about the mix. Three parts to this, no doubt at all. Um, But he's also keen to work with people to say, 
you should employ more blind people to do this. Because why wouldn't you? And I, I just think that's a fantastic thing. I'm really pleased to hear him doing that. And uh, absolutely, Liz Gutman, who is going to be joining the conversation as well, she is uh, one of the, the head writers. And um, we get into some really cool conversations around the, uh, the writing of, you know, like Bridgerton, for example. How do you write some of those sex scenes? You know, how do you write it in a way? How do you sex write scenes? it in a way? Is there oh, sex scenes? Have I missed on. something? Uh, my wife, I don't watch this, but my wife watches this show. I'm told to leave the room. It's like Fifty Shades of Grey in a series. <laughs> is it? it is, well, I, I, I don't watch it, but from but from what I hear, it That's is twice pretty lively. Said, I don't watch it now. I don't I watch it. I don't, someone I don't, protests too no, much. No, I do not watch that show. Um, but I will. I did walk past the room and heard some rather interesting <laughs> audio description, let's just say. Um, I walked past the room, hanging around the doorway. <laughs> Get out, Stephen. <laughs> If you want to watch it, I don't want to watch it. I've never watched it. <laughs> now I want to watch it. Okay, cool. <laughs> but yeah, how do you write that stuff? How do you write it in a way that is in keeping with the show? But because you have to be so graphic, don't you? I guess that's the problem. So, well, yeah, which, but yeah, what words do you use? I, I think it's all in context. You have to describe or, what's going on, and there's no way. Yeah, but it's, it. it's, I think it's in tone with the show. If the show's a little bit irrelevant. Irrelevant. And are you okay that with that? Are you happy? I mean, because I must yes, admit, it makes me feel so weird when I hear sex scenes be described. I just find it so horrible. <laughs> I don't want to hear that stuff. Okay. I don't know what to say to that. I kind of think no. there should be a mute button for audio description or indeed sex <laughs> scenes. Maybe just a, a sex scene button. Can we get that on my Amazon remote? Can, Can I get you a just sex scene button? Censor it. Yeah. Censor there's there's it, yeah. adult things going on. Just wait five minutes. Yeah. Um, my mum my used to say when I was a kid, whenever something came on the TV that was inappropriate, she would say, go get your pajamas on. And that was, so that's how I always knew something was kind of weird. Look, so that's what you do when Bridget comes on. Exactly. Stick around. Look, stick around because we're going to get to this. Uh, Eric Wickstrom and uh, Liz Gutman from International Digital Centre join us next here on Double Tap. Follow Double Tap on social media at Double Tap On Air and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts and email us feedback at ami.ca. We'll be right back. This is Double Tap. Now, back to the show. Okay, let's get right to our guests today on uh, Double Tap. We have from the International Digital Centre, Eric Wickstrom and Liz Gutman, thank you so much for being with us here on the show. Uh, Eric, do you want to kick off with maybe telling us a bit about IDC and the company itself? IDC is a full-service post-production facility based in New York City and Los Angeles. We do literally everything that you need done for post-production, from captioning to color correction to you know, everything else you could think of, including obviously audio description. We also have a full service dubbing department, foreign language, to English dubbing that we do at, at this point. We have full service Spanish uh, audio description as well. So again, everything else you could, uh, you could possibly need for your post-production needs is what we do. So, you know, for us blind folk, you know, we obviously watch these shows. We, some of us say we listen to them, whatever way you look at it, we're, we're, you know, we're, we're watching TV, right? And we're engaging and, and enjoying the content. Uh, tell us some of the shows you've worked on so that we can uh, put some, put some, uh, I guess, voices to the shows. Sure. We've worked on many, many things over the years. Some of the bigger ones would be recently what Squid Game. We provided audio description for uh, Queen's Gambit was a big one. Bridgerton. Uh, that, that one's been in the news. Yeah, Bridgerton's been in the news lately. Uh, what else? What am I forgetting, Liz? Afterlife, uh, the Ricky Gervais comedy series. We did that one. Russian Doll just relaunched last week, season two. Mm -hmm. What else? What else? Uh, plenty. I mean, there's so many. I mean, literally hundreds and hundreds of titles over the last few years that we've yeah. done. The Witcher? Oh, yeah. The Witcher. Yes, we do The Witcher as well. So... What else? I mean, so many. So, you know, every genre. There's a ton. Yeah, kid, I don't have my list yeah, in front kids, of me. So. From kids programming all the way up to, you know, the, the most, you know, violent and uh, exciting stuff that you can imagine on streaming. We've done that as well. So 
and everything in between cooking shows, stand-up specials, uh, reality programming, every literally everything we we've had our hands in at this point for audio description. So, you know, what does it take to become a company that does this? Because, you know, ultimately, I imagine, and Liz, I'd love to bring you in on this, you know, from your perspective, from a writer's perspective, um, what is the key to writing good audio description? How do you how do you do it is essentially what I'm asking you. What's the secret sauce? (laughs) Oh, man, there's a lot of steps to it and a lot of skills that go into it. Um, So from a practical standpoint, you know, we we watch the media, we describe the visuals that happen between sound effects and, um, and dialogue. And then someone narrates it. That's, you know, that's the very simplified version of what we do. Um, in order to do it well, you need to have a lot of different skills. You need to be observant. Uh, you need to be, you you need to have a certain sense of, uh, empathy and that you can kind of put yourself in the situation of, okay, if, if I weren't able to see what was going on here, what would I need to know? in order to effectively convey what's happening without overwriting. You know, you don't want to put in description just because there's some silence there. If nothing needs to be described, then leave it out. Um, You need to have a good vocabulary, but you also need to be a good editor. Um, And you need to be able to edit yourself. (laughs) So when you go and write and then you go back and look it over, you need to be able to get brutal and say, okay, uh, I like this word or I like this phrase, but I don't have time for it or it's not necessary or I need to cut it down. Uh, So you really need to be able to self-edit as well. Um, Yeah, and just to be able to adjust the tone and the vocabulary so that it's appropriate to the project as well. So, you know, for example, a kid's show is not going to be described in the same way that Squid Game is going to be described, is not going to be described the same way that Bridgerton is going to be. Um, those all require different tones and different uh, different types of vocabulary and phrasing. Um, so yeah, there's a lot that goes into it. But I will say that curiosity uh, and a willingness to learn and take notes goes a long way. I guess the biggest challenge you face as a writer, I guess, is the the challenge of the amount of time that you have to be able to put the description in. There's probably lots more you want to say, but there's only so much room in the dialogue or where the dialogue isn't isn't happening. Yeah, that's one of the biggest challenges for sure. Um, and something that we really take pains to do at IDC as well is particularly in, say, an action movie, um, you know, the sound design in a project like that is very deliberate and took a lot of resources and time and effort to get, you know, just the right sound for the, for the big right hook and, or the right sound for the stab or the punch or the kick or all of that stuff. Um, so we try and let that come through as much as possible. Um, that's where action scenes are really tricky too, because you kind of think, oh, these guys are just fighting for two and a half minutes. I have all the time in the world. But really, you, ideally, you want to be able to place it so that you describe the punch right before you hear it happen. So you have that mental image set up. And then you get the same impact listening to it as you do watching it. Um, We're always just trying to make the experience of the AD as close to the experience of watching it as possible. Uh, You know, from your point of view, you know, I guess that there's two sides to this, isn't there? There's the writing side and then there's the voice. There's the voice that delivers it. And and one thing your company has done, which is very interesting and, and really surprised me as, as a visually impaired person, is that you're hiring visually impaired talent to voice the the writing that's being done by Liz and her team and, and people around Liz. You know, you're writing all this material and you're getting visually impaired voices to uh, to read it how did that come about where did that idea come from that came about was something that liz and i had been discussing for a little while and then at the end of every year we kind of you know before the new year we'd say what do you want to do this year you know how do you want to evolve what we're doing and because that's the thing we're always trying to figure out stay ahead of it's changing audio description has changed a lot the last few years it's been around for many many years decades now and it's evolved more in the last two or three years than it did the previous 20 probably so we're, we're always trying to have conversations and, and figure out you know where is it, where is it going how can we get there first kind of thing so one of the conversations we kept having was we wanted to start bringing in blind professionals to do the voiceover work we couldn't quite figure out how that was going to work honestly but it was something that we we had discussed and then 
three months later, the world ended. I mean, literally, the world just shut down. And we got invited on a podcast, much like, you know, like this is with a man named Thomas Reed. And through that, through that, through that experience and talking to him and, and doing the podcast, a kind of a light bulb went off of my head. And I said, you know, maybe we could do this with screen reading technology and remote recording because we were setting up all these other remote recording situations for all of our sighted talent. And I'm like, why can't this work with, with the blind folks as well? And so Thomas jumped in and, and he and I kind of worked out some, some workflows trial and error, figured it out. And it worked really well. That first project was a thing called skin decision that is on Netflix. And from there, it just kind of exploded in a lot of ways. I think we're up to 14 or 15 unique visually impaired and blind talents on the roster and in active rotation uh, right now. I think I have of the eight or nine projects that are in active production. I think four of them right now are being voiced by different blind and visually impaired narrators. So that's how that started. And then after we did the one, the, the news got out and I started getting contacted by people on Twitter and other social media sort of reaching out and, and then friends of theirs started reaching out. And it turned out there was a lot of blind uh, folks that had professional audio setups and were able to do the work. And so we just made a priority to start really focusing on that and, and making sure that that we were onboarding as many people as possible. And that's still continuing. I think in the last two or three months, we've onboarded three or four more unique talents. We've had people in the booth now live doing AD that are blind. We uh, we're going to do in a few weeks or maybe next month, we're going to actually have somebody in and use a braille reader in the booth live and see how that goes and, you know, different workflows. And we're working with people up in Canada we're working with people in the U.S., so it's it's going global. Uh, Europe, I'm working with somebody in, uh, you know, Fern jumped in 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 I think London. She's over there in Great Britain, and she jumped in. So, so yeah, it's it's going really well, and it's something that we're excited about. And also being able to diversify within the diversity is something that we're pushing for now as well. Like it's not just good enough to say, okay, we have a blind narrator, that narrator also has to be African American or Latina or, you know, something else that fits that content as well. Because that's something that we're very committed to at IDC. We have, we do have the most diverse roster in the business. It's not even close. We have, I have probably 40 or 50 different narrators in the rotation every year doing projects. Uh, and that's always with the in mind, making sure that we're, we're fitting a voice with the content, we're honoring the, the spirit of the material with the voice as well as the, as the tone. So that's kind of the longer winded story of how that all came about. But that's the, you know, that's how it happened. And that's how it's continuing to grow. It, it just is really fascinating to me because from a writer's point of view, Liz, you must be thinking to yourself, wow, we've got so much uh, diversity in talent uh, to be able to deliver this writing. And this isn't just a disembodied voice that's being attached onto a film or a, a TV show, is it? No. Um, yeah. And as much as we can, you know, if we're able to in the production process, and sometimes we are, sometimes we aren't, um, we do take into account uh, whether it's with the formatting of the script itself or, um, you know, the the sort of words per minute that you are anticipating being able to be read. Um, you know, if I know someone or if one of our writers knows a particular person, let's say it's season two of something we've already done, we say, oh, I know that, you know, Jane is going to voice this or whatever. Um, we kind of know what their cadence is, how quickly they can read, how many gears they have. We say, you know, like some some VO talent have, you know, several gears. Some only really have one or two. It's all totally fine. Um, you know, some are better suited for certain projects for various reasons. If we do know ahead of time, we'll certainly take that into account. Uh, you know, if I know someone has a really fast third gear, that'll enable me to go, oh, I think I can get a really quick description of this joke in, you know, because I know that this person can can squeeze it in and will be able to understand it. Uh, and some other people, that's just not the case. You know, you say, okay, I need to edit this a little more uh, because I know that this, this VO talent's cadence is a little slower. Um, we don't always know ahead of time when we're writing something what who is going to end up voicing it. So we try and default to okay, let's assume that this cadence is going to be slower because then we always have room to crank it up a little bit more if need be, but then we don't have to go back, you know, there doesn't need to be any kind of mm. like on the fly editing in the booth or trying to rush somebody who's not accustomed to reading that quickly. Um, so it does depend, um, but we don't, we don't always know ahead of time. 
I have another question I want to ask you, Liz, in a, in a minute about the writing itself and specifically around one particular area of writing. Um, but I'll come back to that. Uh, mm-hmm. Eric, I want to ask you about the, the mix of audio, because one thing that I've noticed, and this, I say this is probably the most important third part that, that people or companies, I should say, that, that create audio description up until now haven't been thinking about as much. And that is the way that it sounds ultimately in the mix of audio. And I know from my own point of view, as a blind guy enjoying Netflix content here in the UK, you know, listening to the, the content that was coming out from your company, especially, it was clear that, you know, an actual thought, actual thought had gone into the mix of audio. Um, Imagine that. And that you'd considered how it might sound on the other end. Yeah, I know. It was so, so bizarre. Um, so, you know, I mean, I, I shouldn't even need to ask this question, but, you know, Tell us about the thought process that's going into that and the considerations you're making when it comes to, to mixing it all together and making it sound good. Yeah, well, that, that starts with the writing. Once again, the writing, I I'm, say this all the time, the writing is 90% of the equation. Uh, if we had a, you know, a pie chart, that would be a very, very large piece of the pie would be the writing and then the voicing and then the, the mixing. But the mixing is extremely important. If, if you don't have a good mix, you can ruin that track. And there's plenty, to your point, there's a lot of tracks out there that just don't sound very good. And so you have to, you know, it's a it's a conscious decision with the writers, to Liz's point earlier, about what we're not stepping on. We're not going to try to step on gunshots. Uh, we're not going to try to step on stabbings or punches or, you know, somebody goes through a window or, or a door. We want to hear that. You know, we want to make sure that we're setting that ahead of the time. So we're, not, so we're not having to step on that action happening to tell you what's happening. So again, it's a very specific, very thought out part of the writing that goes into that. Now, with that said, once we record it, we have to make sure our VO person's not stepping on that. After all, they have to get out before it happens. And then our audio guys have to know to look out for that. They have to make sure that they're not stepping on it also. And so that's a conversation that I have had with them. You know, when I started, I've been really, really blessed with some I mean, I'm on my, I think, sixth engineer now. All my engineers keep uh, leaving, going on to amazing things uh, after working with me, which is great for them. For us, it's challenging because we're constantly having to bring new people in. But I've been extremely lucky where everybody that's come in has just been so talented. So if you listen to something like the red light, green light sequence of Squid Game, which is one I always tell people to check out for this purpose. So Liz wrote the hell out of that scene. And just masterful, masterful writing. And then Sri Gordon, who's our voiceover person, did an amazing job voicing it. But then equally importantly, Antonio Paneros, who's my audio engineer on that project, went in there and made sure that every blood squib and every gunshot and everybody hitting the ground and every step in the dirt and every time that crazy, you know, doll turns and the eyes shift, you hear the eyes shift, you hear... You know, you hear all of that. And I think that, again, we did it and it's really good. And I do think if a lot of companies in the field had done it, it would not be as good because they don't think about these things. To your point, they just describe over it or worse. They have an automated program that does the mixing. A lot of studios use where they they feed the track in and then the, the audio of the program itself kind of just shifts levels up and down. So we're not doing that. We're not, you know, we're mixing in 5.1 and we're thinking about all five of those those outputs equally uh, when we mix. So it's definitely a conscious decision. It's something that we have discussed. It's something that we continue to not only worry about in the writing and the voicing and the mix, but then on our QC process on the backside, our QC people are listening for those things also. You know, not just, hey, you're stepping on dialogue, which has always been the big rules in AD for all these years, don't step on dialogue. We are also specifically looking not to step on sound and sound effects. Because uh, to Liz's point earlier, we are trying to replicate that experience for the blind and visually impaired consumer, just as I would receive it as a sighted viewer, you know, as much as we can within the, the you know, the constraints of what we're dealing with. But, but yeah, all those, those are three incredibly important aspects. And I, I thank you for bringing it up because the audio engineers do not get enough credit and do not get recognized enough. And I feel it's, you know, it's one of the areas of AD that the corners get cut the most and and it's, it's really terrible because to your point, you can, you know right away, you know, the sound, how it sounds. It just sounds a lot different when it's done right versus just being done quickly. So, so yeah, that's, that's again, that's, there's a lot of thought that goes into that. And every one of those steps have to come together to make that, that work in the end. 
Yeah, no, no offense to the camera operators, but I don't care what it looks like. I care what it sounds like, right? That's 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 it for me. It can be glorious 4K, but I'm listening for 4K in audio. Um, that's what I'm right. interested in. And Squid Game is a perfect example of that, because and you know I can only imagine the challenges you must have faced with that, because of course you're dealing with multiple languages as well. Um, it's a dubbed uh, show as well, so it's it's not you know in its native language. It's it's an incredible work. Uh, I want to ask you about the the relationship you have with the companies themselves that make these shows. Do you ever have any involvement directly with them and the work that they are doing? Do they ever comment back to you on the, on the, on the, the inclusion of the AD that you've created? No, no, uh, we don't, we don't hear from them. I mean, the, the shows, the way it works, the show gets done, it's in the can, so to speak. And then it goes to the distributors, the streaming service or the, the broadcast network, whoever owns the show, will then contract us. We AD is literally the last step in the process. Like everything else is done before it gets to us. The captioning is done, the, the color correction, the editing, the mixing, the sound. Like it comes to us and it's finished, finished form. Hopefully. Uh, it doesn't always. <laughs> Sometimes we're scrambling uh, uh, right to the very launch. But generally speaking, we're working off the very final materials and it is what it is. There's no talking to production companies like, hey, can you give me an extra second there so I can get this description in? And, you know, I would love for production companies and for writers, especially and directors and, and to start thinking editors, editors, really, to start thinking about the blind and visually impaired consumers as they're mixing and as they're editing, you know, give me that extra half second. Give me that. Literally, give me an extra half second and I can. Well, I can't do anything with it, but Liz can work miracles with it. So, and in my other writers, I mean, I am along with engineers. I am blessed with, for my money, the best writing team in the business as well. Like just amazing, talented uh, writers as well. So, my my folks can do a lot with an extra second or two. So, you know, it's not thought about uh, accessibility generally in in the world we're in is not thought about enough. The fact that I saw somebody last night on Twitter complaining that. You know, who do I have to talk to to make sure, you know, certain movies get AD and other ones don't? I'm like, that's not that's not the conversation we should be having. The conversation is, who do I talk to to make sure everything has AD? That's the conversation Then we don't have to worry about picking and choosing because everything should have it. So. So, yeah, I would love that. I would love for, for all those other aspects of those productions to be involved or, or come by the studios and see what goes into it and kind of see what we're dealing with. And, you know, think about that side, because, again, there are millions and millions of blind and visually impaired consumers and and sighted consumers. You know, I know a lot of sighted people now use audio description and treat it like a podcast or an audio book. You know, they'll just stream it and listen to it around the house or on their commutes or in the car or whatever it is. So, yeah, it would be wonderful. We're not there yet. But again, we're evolving so much so quickly in the last few years. So, you know, a year from now, you might ask me that question and I might tell you, oh, I had you know, people from this company and that company come in and we've had all these conversations and, and things are moving in that direction. So, you know, I think it's definitely a conversation to keep pushing for because I'd love to have it. When it comes to the writing, there's one area of audio description which I think always makes us blind people blush a little bit. And Bridgerton is a perfect example of this. When you have to describe, and I really feel for you on this, when you have to describe these sex scenes, I have to tell you, I've never seen Bridgerton. My wife... She she covers it for us right in this house. She is the Bridgerton <laughs> fan around here. Um, but you know what is that process like for you? Because it, it's always the challenge, I guess, isn't it? Of how much is too much information? How's how do you? I guess what I'm wondering is, do you try and temper it to the style of the show to make it fit? As in, you know, without being gratuitous about some of it, or or do you have to be gratuitous to be on to make it clear what's going on? Yeah, I, I think you have it exactly right. Is is we kind of tailor it to the to the show, um, to the project, you know, show, movie, whatever. But what we do is we tailor it to each project. So, you know, the way you describe nudity in, for example, I don't know, a horror movie is going to be different than the way you describe nudity in a drama is going to be different than the way you describe nudity in Bridgerton, which is meant to be steamy. You want to make sure and use language that, that encourages that. Um, you know, again, we're trying to bring the audio description experience as close to watching it as possible. 
Um, so it's making sure that the describer, you know, that you as a describer, as a description writer, let that feeling sort of wash over you and then reach into your sort of bag of tricks to bring out whatever language and phrasing and, and tone will best suit that. And then moving forward in the process in the booth, when the narrator is recording, you know, to make sure that the director can, can adjust that a little bit too. Like, Oh, could you, you know, maybe it's bring it, bring it down a little bit or bring it up a little bit, or, you know, it's, it's a multi-step process that I always find really fun, <laughs> even if it's, it can be kind of embarrassing in the moment um, to really get into that sort of romance novel, you know, steamy description. Um, but at the end of the day, that's what makes a great AD track um, is putting all that extra work into it and making sure that it, it fits, you know, it fits with the tone of the piece without necessarily distracting from it, but that it really blends in with the, the language, the tone of, you know, the actual physical tone of the scene and, and everything like that. Yeah, I mean, I want to open this up to both of you, Liz, to you first, but I, mm -hmm. I wonder about that on personality in AD, because that's something I must admit that feels quite new. Um, it used to be very much, and, and I'm obviously coming to this from my own point of view from the UK, where it was all very, you know, dry English voices just reading out, you know, a script that clearly they had no interest in. Some of them sounded like they'd rather be anywhere else, <laughs> but, you know, doing the audio description. And um, it just felt like an afterthought, you know, especially with... Um, getting names wrong in shows, you know, names of characters wrong, just this lack of detail. Yeah. I, I would never imagine that from your work at all, ever. You know, that just wouldn't even factor it. You know, as soon as we know there's a Netflix show that's, you know, and I say Netflix because that's you know generally what I find it on, um, you know, you know the qualities there. You don't even have to think about it. But what? how important do you think that personality is? Because is it? there's a line, isn't there, between you know, being part of the show, being that voice essentially next to you, giving you that information of what's going on visually, but then actually becoming essentially another character in the program. Right. That's an interesting way to put it. The evolution of the tone in reading audio description is something that even in the few years that I've been working in the industry that I've seen and heard change. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, we're making media accessible, right? So we're not in this to, it's all well and good if I write something that I think sounds great. If it's not accurately describing the scene, I'm not doing my job. It doesn't matter how nice it sounds. Um, so at the end of the day, we always have to come back. Is this accurate? Does it fit with the scene? You know, does it blend in? We, we're not looking to stand out. We are looking to blend in. But in terms of adjusting tone to, you know, yeah, I, I think, and this is, but this comes from conversations that I've had with AD users and blind and low vision folks who listen to AD, you know, have been listening to AD for decades. Um, to your point of, oh yeah, it's always just kind of dry and kind of monotone. And, you know, that was the rule for a very long time. And there are reasons behind that, which I understand, but now I think especially as we just have so much more content, I think is part of it. And so, so much more diverse content, I think is another part of it. Um, adjusting cast, both casting and actual reads to fit in and blend in more with each particular project. That's something that's come out of feedback from the blind and low vision community where, you know, we listen to the community who are saying like, Hey, um, this is a steamy love scene. It's weird to hear it just kind of read in a flat monotone. <laughs> That's that doesn't turn me on. That doesn't it just loses bring it, doesn't me it? Into just, the scene. Yeah, it yeah. takes you right out of it. Um, yeah. but it is a fine line. And you know, Eric can speak to this too. He he does a lot of the actual directing and is in sessions and stuff like that. Um, but in the stuff that I've narrated, I also try and walk that line. It's really tricky. It is really tricky because you don't want to overdo it. You don't want to make yourself you know, the voice should not be the focus. The voice is just telling you what's going on. Um, but yeah, that is something that we've seen change and shift and evolve. And I'm sure it will continue to as well. So, yes. Yeah, so we have seen an evolution with casting and with tone. And we definitely, it's tough with AD because it is such, you know, the, the, the narrator is such a huge part of the product and they need to simultaneously you know, stand out enough to be interesting, but not stand out enough to be distracting. 
So it's a very fine line that the narrators walk, and I don't I don't envy them a lot of the times. It's a very difficult balancing act they have to pull off. We're lucky where we have some exceptional folks working with us that are are able to, to kind of really thread that needle, so to speak. Uh, and it has evolved a lot. You know that that very boring monotone style, which is still out there, it's prevalent in some places because you know some people just don't want to evolve. They've been doing it the same way for literal decades and this is the way they're going to do it forever and that's that's their choice but for us we want to again give the community more of what they're seeking with the feedback we're receiving so you know we don't again it's not a performance being an ad narrator is not a performance it's uh, at the end of the day but it's it is something that it needs to be sound interesting at least so you know if it's a comedy you want to sound brighter if it's a drama you want to use a different tone Obviously, if it's an action film, you want to maybe be a little bit more animated in the read. If it's a love scene like a Bridgerton, you want to be, you know, more, you know, sensual in the read. There, There is that that much to it. But, you know, so obviously, like those different tones are not going to work across all genres. So it's something, again, it is evolving. Even people in our roster that, you know, have been doing this for over a decade, trying to get them up to speed with with the new way of doing it. It's uh, it's a challenge sometimes. But. But it's definitely – that's the way AD is going. That's definitely the way people – the majority of people want it. They want it evolved and they want it more interesting sounding. So that's what we're going to continue to do. And sometimes you don't know. Sometimes you cast people in an AD narrator's role. You get them in the booth and you go, ah, eh, you know, it's it's okay. It's it's good, but it's not exactly what I was looking for. Or sometimes they just – they bring something else into the booth that just blows you away that you weren't even thinking about. So – it's a balancing act and it's, and we're trying to figure it out as well. But, you know, we, we are trying to, to do that at least, you know, trying to evolve the process and, and how it sounds. Liz, I want to ask you because uh, Eric had mentioned about style guides and you had updated Bridgerton mm-hmm. um, recently uh, for uh, the season one. And I just wanted to ask about your thoughts on this, because obviously there's, there's a change happening here. Again, audio description is evol- evolving constantly. People want as much information as they can get. Race and identity are a big part of that. And it's something which is new, I guess, to audio description. It's not new in the sense of what we have maybe been looking for. But it's interesting that we're now able to bring that into the mix as well, because it's important, isn't it? It's important we know who the characters are. It's important we know the identity of the characters. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, there are, that's been one of the big sort of evolution pushes that's happened in the past couple of years, honestly. Um, I'm all for it. Um, you know, it, sometimes it can make people uncomfortable if they're not used to it, or they think it puts too much focus on it, which I, I reject out of hand. At the end of the day, it's visual information that a sighted person has access to, right? We need, we need to make that same information accessible. And it does make an impact, even if it's, you know, even if it's not central to the plot, um, seeing a diverse cast, having a diverse cast represented, whether that's race and skin tone, whether it's hairstyles, whether it's a visible disability, someone using a mobility aid, someone using a white cane, all of that's super important because if someone who is watching that project, you know, sees, hears themselves described, hears themselves represented on that screen, that's hugely important. Um, and again, even if, you know, it, it just goes back to it's visual information. We need to make it accessible, whether or not it makes some people uncomfortable, whether or not, you know, as describers, we have to try and come up with language, you know, not on the fly, but it's a, it's an ongoing conversation because the way people self-describe is not uniform across the board. So we're just always doing our best, you know, under deadlines. And when we don't, you know, sometimes we'll do smaller independent projects and maybe we have the ability to ask a filmmaker, to ask an actor to say, you know, how do you describe yourself? Is this language okay? 99.99% of the time we do not have that luxury. So we just have to do our best. And then we have to do our best if we, you know, if we hear back like, hey, that's, that's not the language that's used now. Great. Let's update it. You know, it's again, it's not about our ego. It's not about, um, you know, it's not about us. It's about accessibility and it's about making media accessible. And, and we're here to provide a service at the end of the day. 
Um, so that's been, it can be really challenging at times, but it's also really rewarding and it's just, it's the right thing to do. So that's what we do. Yeah. I mean, how am I supposed to know if someone's black on screen, right? I mean, it's not like the accent gives everything away. It doesn't. Um, and I think that's the key point. And, you know, you, you want to know that information because, you know, if you're having a conversation with someone about a program or or about a show and you're surprised to learn that person's black, it's, you know. It just feels a bit odd, you know. It's like well, I feel I should have known that, you know. And, yeah. And you're absolutely well, then right. you didn't That's have full important. access to the information, which yeah. is not good description. That, exactly. That's it. It's audio description. It's it's say what you see, isn't it? Um, yep. Eric, I want to ask you about one final question about um, synthetic speech, which has been creeping mm. in a little bit on some shows. Um, I'm going to take <clears throat> a guess that you're not a fan. I'd be a. It'd be a good guess. Uh, I would say, okay, so there, there is a need, there, there's a place and there's a need for, for synthetic speech. Like I'm not just out of pocket, you know, throwing the technology out totally. It's come a long way. It reminds me a lot of when I was in film school 25 years ago and digital video came in and we all said, you know, you could see it looked like video compared to film. We were all shooting film. And we all said, you know, this will never replace film. This nothing will ever be shot on this. This is ridiculous. And you know, and now everything's shot on DV, and you can't tell the difference anymore. I mean, it looks amazing. So synthetic speech five years ago to synthetic speech now is much better. So you know, so we we we, we kind of toe this line here where you know there are huge pockets of programming and films and TV shows from the eighties and the nineties and the seventies that. Never had description, never had audio description, and had, there was never any plans to do audio description on that. So, you know, some companies now are going back and backfilling all that material, but in order to save a few bucks. And again, the voicing is not that expensive, to be honest with you, on the overall scheme of, of what things cost. But, you know, if they're going to synthetic voice it, mix it, all that stuff, I could see now they're going to start shaving a lot of money off. So if the choice is between getting material described synthetically or just not having it described, then, you know, I kind of default to saying, well, the more description in the world, the better, you know what I mean? And it's not like, it's not like we're going to be able to like to sign a petition and make some of these big conglomerate companies just go, Oh, you know what? We've rethought it. We're now we're going to use live voices. So I think a lot of us are just going to have to make peace with the fact that that's how that stuff's going to live in the world. But at least the description lives in the world, which again, good with the bad. As far as stuff now, new stuff heading forward, I have no use for synthetic voicing. I don't think, I still think that as though, you know, it's come a long way and it's harder to pick it out sometimes, but you're never going to replicate the emotion, the reads. You're never going to get a, like a Bridgerton read the same way that a Stuart Williams can read it in the booth with, with a synthetic voice. It's not going to happen. Or the way, again, like a Squid Game, a Sri Gordon is going to read Squid Game. You're not going to get that that exact emotional intent and all those intense scenes with a computer voice because you can't direct a computerized voice. You can't tell the computerized voice, hey, you know what? You got to do this you know, a little more sensual or you got to do this a little bit more dramatically or comedically. I mean, you know, the people that design this, oh, we can click a button and we can do that. But it's not the same. And most importantly, where I default on this is that the community – and we do we do solicit a lot of feedback from the community. I mean, we're both very reachable on social media, on Twitter and, and other places, and we we welcome that feedback. Liz is on Facebook, and and you know, the the vast majority of the feedback we get is that the community does not like it and they don't want it. So if we, if our general purpose when we get out of bed in the morning is how are we, and this is the focus I try to put on the department, and this is the what I try to preach to my team, is let's ask ourselves every morning, how are we best going to serve the blind and visually impaired community today? That is the focus. That is our first focus. That is our last focus. And everything in between, that's the focus. So if the focus is on that and the community doesn't want it, then I don't think we should be trying to give it to them. So that's, that's where I kind of default on that. Um, so again, it's, I don't think it's evil. I don't think that in, in all areas it's necessarily awful, but I think that it's not necessary and it's not saving. If you're doing audio description correctly, whereas you're using a real life audio mixer and you're directing it and you're doing a QC process and all that stuff, the voice element is, is really not a huge piece of the budget it's really just not so you're not saving that much whatever that percentage is 
you're not saving that much. And the quality is kind of offset by it. So that percentage you're saving, you're lessening the quality by the same percentage. So there's really no reason to do it, in my opinion. So kind of a long-winded answer. So I, I, I don't I don't hate synthetic voicing. We don't use synthetic voicing. And frankly, if we were forced to use synthetic voicing, I would probably just go find something else to do with my time day-to-day to, to have a career. That's where I, I land on it. Eric Wickstrom and Liz Gutman, thank you so much for giving us your time today here on Double Tap. It's been a real pleasure talking to you both today. Uh, every time I do one of these, and Liz and I do one of these podcasts or these shows, and we love doing them all, so thank you for the invite today. I uh, want to throw it back out there in the universe, again, touching on the blind and visually impaired talent that we have, you know, 15 or in growing on the roster and I am available to be reached on social media. So companies, if anybody from any competing companies, my competitors are watching this and they are interested in working with blind and visually impaired talent, reach out. I, my DMs are open, slide right into them and on Twitter. And I'll be happy to take a phone call. I will happy to tell you our workflows from A to Z. This is not proprietary. This is not protected information. And then I will put you in touch with every one of these people through email or telephone, however you prefer, if you want to hire them. So there's literally no excuse if you're a company providing audio description to not be involving blind and visually impaired folks in the process. Um, I will help you do it. If you're serious about doing it, we will get it done. So that's something I always like to say when I do one of these. And I've, I've had some people, some of my biggest competitors in the field have reached out to me on this and I have made the time and they are working with folks that work with us now. And I encourage more people to do that, to reach out and let's have the conversation. So again, thank you for having us. It was really, it's great. Thank you, Stephen. It's been a pleasure. And that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening. Join us for our conversation with audio describer Thomas Reed from IDC. That is on tomorrow's Double Tap. Catch you then. Love Double Tap? Did you know we're on the TV too? Check out brand new episodes of Double Tap TV on AMI-tv every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern. Or binge on all episodes online at ami.ca forward slash Double Tap. We're also on YouTube. Search for Double Tap to catch our episodes there too. Join me every couple weeks for the Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther podcast, where we learn about outdoor tech and tips. Plus, we look at news affecting the environment. AMI's Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther is available from your favorite podcast provider.